Please remain standing in honor of God's Word. We're continuing on in the Gospel according to John. This morning we're looking at John chapter 8, and we'll read verses 12 through 20. John 8, 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word incarnate. We thank you for the word inspired. We thank you how your word gives us light. Father, we need this light. May we not be people of darkness. Father, I pray that no one will leave here this morning walking in darkness. Open the eyes of the blind so that they can see the light and lead your people in the light. And may we, in fact, be light to a dark and dying world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. A while ago, we had a conference that we called the Sovereignty of God Conference, and R.C. Sproul Jr. Um, gave this illustration. I know some of you were here, many of you weren't here. Um, so in order for this to work, let me repeat what he did. Um, I'd like you to do something just, just for a moment. Uh, close your eyes. You can put your hand on your wallet or your purse if you need to feel comfortable. Uh, just for a moment, but close your eyes and... Picture in your mind nothing. Okay? Picture nothing. You got it? See if you can bring nothing into real sharp focus. Okay, you got it? All right, you can open your eyes. Okay, so Will Jr. gave that, that illustration. And he said, now how many of you pictured white light? Okay. How many a few of you? Okay, I see the hand. Raise your hand a little higher so I can. How many of you picture darkness? Just black. Oh, look at that. Look at all the hands. How many of you picture vast expanses of blackness? Okay, quite a few of you. Okay, I was in the category of vast expanse of blackness. And then you know what Sproul Jr. told me? I was wrong. He said, How much room does nothingness take up? Now, I did a little study. I was really bothered by that because I thought I was really biblical in my imagination. (laughs) And I want to assert to you this morning that I am biblical in my imagination of picturing 
a vast expanse of darkness. And I can back that up scripturally with Genesis 1-2. In Genesis 1-2, we are given a description of nothing that existed before God created the world. Verse 1, hopefully you all note, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, notice three things, without form and void and darkness. Okay? Before he creates anything, we're told, without form, void, darkness. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Deep. Not over the face of the shallow. Over the face of the deep. So here we have a picture before God created. Vast emptiness, voidness. Darkness! That's what I pictured. That's what existed. Now, of those three, emptiness, voidness, nothing, which is the greatest problem? I won't go to the stake on this, but I think the greatest problem is that of darkness. Because God, as God looks out over the emptiness, the voidness, and the darkness, the first thing he says is to correct this problem is, let there be light! And kabam! There was light. Glorious light. Instantly. Because the greatest problem is darkness. Which means our greatest need in the world is to have light. That is our greatest need. Now what is this light on the first day? It is not the sun, the moon, or the stars shining forth or twinkling forth. Because they weren't created until day four. Thank you, Mom. Day four. So what is this light? Well, I submit to you that this light cannot be natural, but is the glory of Jesus Christ. If we take his statement in John eight twelve at least a little bit literal, I am the light of the world, Could he not be implying that I am the first light that brought light into this dark world? I think this light is the pre-existent Christ revealing the glory of God, which tells us that our great need is not only light, but light of the glory of God. And I'll support this further a little later with another passage. Now, in our passage this morning in John 8, the immediate context, uh, most commentators believe, is still the Feast of Tabernacles. talked about this in past week. Uh, The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated by the Jews, also known as the Feast of Booths. And they remembered, when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they remembered how God had provided for them. God sent manna from heaven six days a week to provide for them. Uh, God took care of their thirst. He assuaged it with water that came from a rock. And during that time, God led the people through the wilderness um, by Himself directing them with a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night to give them direction. Well, it's interesting, a little earlier in the first of the seven I am statements in John, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he said this in the context of the manna. 
the manna represented bread from heaven. And Jesus says, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. And then in John 7:37, also during this feast, and remember that it took place among uh, great pomp and circumstance. The, the priest would go up on these stairs and he would raise the pitcher of water and they would shout and he would raise it higher before he poured it out. And on this, the greatest and last day of the feast, we're told that Jesus cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What is Jesus saying? I am the rock that brings you water. And we don't have to guess because the Apostle Paul tells us very specifically in 1 Corinthians 10 that Jesus was the rock that followed the Israelites in the wilderness. Also during the Feast of Tabernacles, we had great light accompanying this ceremony which represented the pillar of of fire. And it's interesting that verse 20 tells us that Jesus spoke where the treasury was, also known as the courts of women. And this is significant because in the treasury or the courts of women, this is where the huge candelabras were lit and we're told that at night they would light up all of Jerusalem. D.A. Carson in his commentary connects the water drawing ceremony with the lighting of the candelabras. He says, He who has not seen the joy of the place of water drawing has never in his life seen joy. Talking about the great celebration when the water was poured out, representing the water that God provided when they were in the wilderness. He says, This extravagant claim stands just before the description of the lighting of the four huge lamps in the temple's court of women and of the exuberant celebration that took place under their lights. And the Jewish Mishnah describes this celebration this way. Men of piety and good works danced through the night, holding burning torches in their hands and singing songs and praises. So as these huge candelabras light up the sky, there's dancing, singing, great celebration. He goes on to say, The Levitical orchestra is cut loose and some sources attest that this went on every night of the Feast of Tabernacles with the light from the temple area shedding its glow all over Jerusalem. And it's in this context that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine the reaction of the crowd? I wonder if there was stunned silence. He implying what I think he's implying? Perhaps there was chaotic confusion. What what is he saying? He can't be saying what we think he's saying. What what does he seem to be implying? Uh, perhaps there was anger and rage. We see in verse twenty that they did not arrest him because his hour had not yet come. Perhaps that implies that they wanted to arrest him but couldn't because the father's time hadn't come yet. Or perhaps the answer is D, all of the above. All these Different responses. Well, what does Jesus mean by this bold claim? I am the light of the world. First of all, realize that it is a claim to deity. The Jews regularly sang the Psalms. That was their hymn book. And they would sing Psalms such as 27.1. The Lord Yahweh is our light in salvation. 
And now here comes Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And notice, not just a small flickering light in a house, not even the light of Jerusalem. I am the light of the world. The entire world. It's also a claim to be the incarnate Shekinah glory. The glorious, brilliant presence of God that accompanied the Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus is saying, you remember how the Lord led you during the day by that cloud? And then remember how the Lord led you at night in a pillar of fire so that you can see in the darkness? That was me. I was the one protecting you. I was the one giving you light. I was the one guiding you. I am the light of the world. An incredible statement. And isn't it interesting that John opens up and he says many things about light, but in one fourteen we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. What does John mean by that? We have seen His glory. I think this is a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, and we're told that his face lit up like the sun. Some commentators think that literally could be translated. And beams of light came from his head, just like the sun. And John says, we saw his glory. We saw the light. Now, following this bold declaration, we have a promise. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Notice, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. I find that very interesting because the Israelites would follow the cloud or follow the fire in the Old Testament. This is what we read in Numbers 15 and 22 that describes this Shekinah glory cloud. On the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony was set up The cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at His command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's orders and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then, at His command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, They set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain encamped and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. And now, what is Jesus saying? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not be in darkness. And I think this promise also has an implied demand. Follow me. Follow me. What if people refuse to follow the light? Look at John twelve thirty five. Jesus said to them, 
the light, of course, that's him. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. Isn't that interesting? The implication is that there is a battle between darkness and light. And he says, follow the light. And you might be wondering, how do you follow the light? Look at verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Following the light begins by believing in the light, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And he promises when you do that, you will not walk in the darkness. That, that's a great promise. Uh, my, my kids love to, to play this little game. Zachy did it a couple, couple of weeks ago. Whenever they clean their room or the basement, they're, they're all proud of that. And then I'll come home from work and they'll say, Daddy, Daddy, come and see what we did. And they'll say, close your eyes. <laughs> close my eyes. And even if I'm just going down the hall, and I did this for Zach, you know, to see what he had cleaned up in his room. Even if I'm just walking five feet, I'll be, I'll be like this. I'm like, he's going to run me into a door. I'm going to get a black eye. Gonna... <laughs> even walking five feet. When, when you're in the dark, you, you don't move very well. You can't see where you're going. That's how the world lives spiritually. They have no idea where they're going. And Jesus says, if you follow me, and he is the only light, you won't be in darkness. You'll see where you're going. And we wonder, why is there so much chaos, confusion, and fear in the world? Because they're in the dark. But Jesus promises, if you follow me, you will never be in the dark. Isn't that a great promise? Follow me. There's another promise given here. He says, whoever follow me will not be in the dark, but will have the light of life. I love that. You will have within yourselves the light of life. This means that a Christian doesn't just follow the light, Jesus Christ. It also means that we actually become light. Even if we're lesser lights, even if Jesus Christ is the sun and we're a little dim nightlight. <laughs> Nevertheless, we become light. Look at John 11, 9 and 10. John 11, 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So we not only follow the light, but we have the very light of God in us. Another description, Ephesians 5.8, describes this as well. Ephesians 5.8, For at one time you were darkness. Notice that. You didn't just walk in darkness. You were yourselves darkness. But now you are lights in the Lord. You were in your very being darkness, but you now are light. Well, when did that transition take place? It took place at conversion. Well, what happened at conversion? Let me tell you what happened at conversion from 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, the God of this 
world, literally age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God. Notice that they're blind. They cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And then notice verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did that happen? Day one of creation. This is what I was referring to earlier. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What happened at salvation? The same thing that happened at creation. God said, let there be light. And into our dark hearts came the light. And what is this light? It is nothing less than the glory of God. It's another reason why I said the light on day one is the glory of God. Because it corresponds to this. At the first creation, God said, let there be light, and the glory went forth. And at our creation, a new creation, God did the same thing. Into our utter darkness, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And for the first time, we could see the glory of God. And why the glory of God? Because that is our greatest need, to see God in all His glory. That is where you receive life. Life is found in the glory of God. And then we have this great illustration of conversion in Colossians. Colossians 1, 11 and following, Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Another description describing conversion saying, we were part of the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. And God transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, the kingdom of light, so that now we are sons and daughters of life. Now notice also in verse 12, John 8, 12, says that we have the light of what? Life. I love that description. We have the light of life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life. And life in all its fullness. Life with great abundance. What a description. I believe it was last week we were watching a documentary um, describing 9-11. We were telling our kids, this is, this is so important so we don't forget how we were attacked on 9-11. And we were watching the planes fly into the Twin Towers and we were watching the police and rescue workers. Uh, and then there was this statement, and it was a very telling statement that came from a Muslim terrorist. And the statement was this, you Americans love life. We love death. And I was like, wow, that is very telling. We love death. As Christians, we love life. We love light. You may notice that in some circles it seems like there's a a love of death with blackness and skulls and, and death. As 
antithetical to the Christian life, which is light and life and celebration in all its fullness. Jesus came so that he could be light, so that we could have that light in us, and that light is life. And we are to give that light and that life to others. I could ask you this on a, on a test. It's kind of a quick question. Who is the light of the world? What would you say? But there's another answer. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5.14 in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, You Christians are the light of the world. And you say, which is? Is Jesus the light of the world or are we the light of the world? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Both. Jesus is the light of the world and He likes to shine in us and through us to unbelievers. We carry His torch to the world so that they can see they're in darkness and so that they can join us in the light. Which means they need to see light in us. They need to see life in us. They need to see joy. They need to see love, patience, kindness, gentleness. We need to remember that we don't just have a message for the world. We also embody that message. That's so important. D.A. Carson mentions that when he was a student at McGill University, they had a study. And he said every once in a while, people would bring hard questions. And he said they would bring their hard questions to a guy named Dave. And he said on one occasion, they brought two different men to Dave. And one of the gentlemen said, well, I'm a, I'm a liberal. I come from a liberal family. And, and my, my parents love each other. And my sister and I love each other. And, and, and he said to Dave, he said, what do you have that I don't have? And he said, watch me. This, this person said, well, he said, watch me. He said, you can come live in my dorm for the next three months. When I get up, you get up. I'll go to my classes. You go to your classes. But then we'll come together. And you're just going to watch me as I go through my day. When I get up, when I go to bed, you're going to watch how I live. Carson says that student didn't take him up on his offer literally. But he did come back again and again and again. And he watched Dave and he watched how he lived. And today, that student who watched Dave is a medical missionary. Not just because of the message of the gospel, but because of the embodiment of the gospel in Christians. So we are to have the light. We are to have the message of light, but we embody that light. We need to radiate with the light of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons why we love having older saints in our congregation is because they glow so much. And here's, here's the truth. We're either glowing more or less. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, We, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, the bright glory, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as we behold the glory of God, we're transformed and the glory in our life goes from one degree to another so that hopefully when we die, we hear not just occasionally, but on a regular basis, you glow. What is it about you? 
And you can say, Jesus Christ. Can I tell you about Jesus Christ and the difference that He has made in my life? And that's what we are to do. But let's not be naive. When we go forth with this message, there will be conflict. There will be division. Some people say, that's wonderful. Some people will say, that's terrible. Look at John 8.13. So, the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Some translations have not valid. And the implication seems to be it's not valid because you're only one witness. Remember, to try a case, you had to have two or three witnesses. But technically, the, the Greek word here, aletheis, is, is truth. So I believe what they're saying is not your testimony is not valid because you only have one witness. You need at least one or two more. I believe what they're saying is your testimony is not true. In other words, you're lying. You're lying. You are not the light of the world. And when you press people on the claims of Jesus Christ, we'll stop with this middle ground, this myth of neutrality. He's just kind of a nice teacher, nice prophet. No. When you press people on who Jesus really is, they're going to have to follow Him or reject Him. They will love Him or they will hate Him. And it will be one or the other. So as the light goes forth we need to realize that there will be different responses. I mentioned this a while back uh, to the kids, um, but I said to the kids a while back, I said, now, you don't have to raise your hands, but I know some of the kids in here are afraid of the darkness. So at night, yeah, Zachy's afraid of the darkness. So some kids like Zachy afraid of the darkness, and they like little night lights or little, little light coming in. And uh, I want you kids to know if you're afraid of the dark and you like a little nightlight, I want you to know you don't have to be ashamed because some adults are afraid of the light. And we see this in John 3. You might recall it from a while back. I know it's been a while now. John 3:19, And this is the judgment. The light, Jesus Christ, has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hate the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Some people hate the light, so they stay in the darkness. They don't want the light to shine. They close the door. They want to stay in the darkness. 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. The world's divided between those who love the lights and those who love the darkness. That's the division in the world. And look at John 1.5. I love this. The light shines in the darkness. And again, we could go back to the first day of creation. Let there be light. There's vast darkness. Light comes into the darkness. You could just picture a dark room. You go home at night. Dark room. Flick on the light. What happens? When darkness and light collide, who wins? Light. light. Notice this. And the darkness has not overcome it. I love that. 
We might want to go, duh, but what's he saying? He's talking about more than physical light and darkness. He's talking about Jesus Christ, who is the light coming into this dark world. And he says there's going to be a battle between darkness and light, but the light will triumph. In other words, history is moving from darkness to light. What a great title for a book on eschatology. From darkness to light. It's interesting, when we talk about uh, a day, we often talk about morning and evening, right? The Bible doesn't do that. If you go back to Genesis, you'll note that there was evening and morning the first day. Why evening and morning and not morning and evening? Because the world and history is moving from darkness to light. And it's fascinating. I heard one pastor say one time, have you noticed that under the Old Covenant, how many things take place at night? And I'll give you just one example. The covenant with Abraham takes place when it became night and we're told that there was a dreadful darkness that came upon him when God makes the covenant. But when you come to the New Covenant, it's like light coming out of the darkness. And you have many examples of that. In Malachi 4.2, When we're told about the day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus Christ, we're told that Jesus' coming is the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. What is that a picture of? It's as though the coming of Jesus Christ is like the dawning of a new day. And of course, there are many prophecies in the Bible where we're told that those walking in darkness in the shadow of death have seen a great light. And that's a reference to Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes... He brings light into the darkness. He brings life where there was death. So history, eschatology, is moving from darkness towards greater and greater light. And the light will overcome the darkness. The light will be victorious. And eventually, there will be no more darkness. Kids who are afraid of the dark, you hear that? A day is coming when you won't need your nightlights. Because there will be no night, there will be no darkness. Last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22. Verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun For the Lord God will be their lights, and they will reign forever and ever. No nights. What will be their lights? Jesus Christ will be their light. The original light will shine forever, and we will bask in His glory. But what of those who reject the light? 2 Thessalonians 1.9 They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And Peter tells us that they will dwell forever in hell, which is described as utter darkness. Utter darkness. There are children of light, children of darkness. And we are moving towards two destinies and a day is coming 
when our destiny will be fixed and God will again separate the light from the darkness and the children of light will enjoy the light of God's glory forever and ever. But the children of the night, the children of darkness, will be sent away from the light of God's glory, which represents joy and peace and love and life in all its fullness. They are sent away from that light which brings life. And of course, in nature, don't we have an illustration of this? In nature, you need light to have life. Same spiritually. If you want to grow spiritually, you've got to be exposed to the light. But if you cut yourself off from that light, you will die. And eventually, you will be in darkness forever. What's our only hope? Turn to Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, and follow Him And you will, I love this word, never walk in darkness. The lights will never go out. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Thank you for Jesus, who is the light of life. Father, if there are any here who have not put their faith in him, I pray that they would repent of their sin that they would put their faith in Him and have light and life within them. Father, for those of us who have this light, Father, may we realize what we have. May we enjoy it. And Father, may we go out into this world and we be light. May May we not hide our light under a bushel. May we go forth. May we look for opportunities to go forth and minister to unbelievers, to those who are in the dark. Father, use us to bring greater and greater light to this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.